Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20. Um, Today is our our last uh, part in our series through the book of Ephesians. Um, We spent the last uh, about three months looking at uh, what our identity is, which is in Christ. And now we're uh, ending by talking about spiritual warfare. In Ephesians chapter 6, looking at those uh, verses 10 through 20. And for us, really, when we talk about spiritual warfare, I think it's important to know that we live in a day where people don't really believe in Satan, and they don't believe in demons, they don't believe in hell, and they really don't believe in this spiritual warfare. And we really turn these, these things into fictional cartoon characters. We kind of turn them into mystical parts of, of our history, mystical parts of stories we tell and, and fairy tales we enjoy. And so we just kind of picture Satan as this figure off in the distance who's all red, has a long tail, pitchfork, and horns. But we don't really think that Satan is real, and we don't think that demons are real. And so when we tend to, uh, every time we go through crisis, we really question or really blame God. We really wonder, man, why is this happening to me? The crisis that I'm walking through, the issue that I'm walking through, man, why am I walking through that issue? Because the only answer is that it could be God because that's the only one we believe that exists. But really there is someone there that exists that is not for you, does not want things to go well for you. And there is a battle raging on around you. And so the response for us often when it comes to spiritual warfare in the midst of our our battles of life is that we typically either respond really unaware or or really unresponsive to these things going on around us. So when it comes to talking about spiritual warfare, there's really two groups of believers that approach this that some of us tend to really over-spiritualize everything. And I'm, I'm not talking about being aware of the actual spiritual battle around us, but we over-spiritualize and misinterpret and misunderstand everything around us. So for you, maybe if mom was someone who over-spiritualized everything, then for you, that probably meant when you got an F on a test that mom was like, that is the work of Satan. Mom just kind of looked at everything as an opposition from the enemy. But then there's also a group of people that would really become skeptics of all things spiritual. And they'd really, really take a back seat to this issue and, and really become skeptics and go, no, that's, that's nothing. That's just the wind or that's just the weather or, or that's just the lighting. You know? and, and so you've really got these two groups of believers. And I think our, our background and our experience in church and, and different groups of people can really have a lot to do with how we view this portion of Scripture and how we view spiritual warfare. And so there's all kinds of examples, those who over-spiritualize everything. I know in my youth ministry days, you got a bunch of kids around who are always watching horror films together because that's how you get a girl to hold your hand, is you watch a horror film with her. And so really, our understanding of the spiritual realm is Hollywood. And so really, the, the understanding for a middle school boy or a middle school girl or a high schooler or a middle school boy, girl, whatever the age there, really believe that there's just like demons lurking around every corner in, in woods and in believers, which is not accurate to scripture at all. And, and they're just kind of thinking, man, what could this be? And they're just kind of over-spiritualizing every interaction. And even I've engaged with leaders who have this kind of thinking that saw everything questionable, everything with opposition 
as the work of Satan. And I'm not saying that Satan isn't at work in those things, but sometimes there's kind of an over-spiritualizing of this, where they look at books and they're like, man, that's, that's the devil's work of that writing. That's mystical. And, and they take that with the Lord of the Rings and books like that. And I'm going, wait, wait a minute, that's written by a believer. Why aren't we looking at this accurately? And they kind of over-spiritualize with their own thinking, not with the word of God. And, and even when it came to opposition in relationships, man, Satan's just really hitting this relationship hard, doesn't want this to, he just wants conflict here and not resolve. And, and there's truth in that, but if we just blame Satan, there's kind of an over-spiritualizing where we're saying, it's all his fault, there's nothing on my part. And then there's really that, that one person that would really say, man, Satan's really fill in the blank, whatever it is. You ask, man, what, what's Satan doing with, with you? What's going on with you where you're saying, man, he's just really hitting you. He's really driving you towards something negative. Saying, well, you know, I'm really just fighting with my family and they're dumb. Um, and, and, and I'm really just kind of sleeping with my, my boyfriend. I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. And, 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 you know, things just aren't going well for me. And I don't know why. It's probably just Satan's fault and what he wants to distract me from. And then there's that, that person who says, you know, like, man, Satan's just really getting me with the overeating, and because cake is from the devil, it must be his fault. And so there's all of these things in here, and I would just imagine that the enemy who is real and active on the earth is just sitting back, just going, there, there's nothing to be done here. They're, they're just doing it all themselves, and they're doing all the damage. And so the issue really here when we tend to over-spiritualize things is that our focus isn't on Christ. It's on our circumstances that we feel controlled by. Our focus isn't on Christ. It's on our circumstances we feel controlled by. And then also, there, there's those that under-spiritualize everything. Then in trials and genuine struggles and in, and in loss, they just can't seem to get their heads above water. And, and their response is, man, just must be a case of the Mondays. Must just be just kind of a, a craziness in my schedule when really there is an enemy actively trying to steal their joy, actively trying to work at getting them to get their focus off of Christ. And then in health, I mean, some of us who would have perfect health, good record, and then all of a sudden hit with pain, hit with disease, unexpected illness, and just go, man, I must just not have worked out enough. I must just not have worked good enough at my eating with my exercising. And then in truth, I think this is one of the one of the most dangerous ways we under-spiritualize things is in truth, when we have doubts. We're going, man, I'm just, I'm just kind of a doubtful person, just kind of doubting who I am. I'm just kind of doubting my faith. I'm doubting that God has great love for me. And all along, there's an enemy active in wanting you to not believe truths, but only see half-truths. And so really, for those that are really under-spiritualizing everything, really their focus as well is not on Christ, but it's on their own strength and on what they believe they need to do. Man, this is my work. This is what I need to do. And they don't understand that there is a real and active enemy that is at work trying to steal their joy and steal their focus. And so both of these views are really an issue because it's not someone's view that they're at war. It's just their view of there's a war somewhere, there's a spiritual thing, and we're either over-spiritualizing it or under-spiritualizing it. And so the issue here is when you don't think you're at war, the last thing on your mind is acting like a soldier. When you don't think you're at war, the last thing on your mind is acting like a soldier. And so these are our views, whether skeptics or over-spiritualizers, not a word, but it will be this morning, 
But, but really my hope for us right now is that we not take it from a, a humanistic approach of under-spiritualizing this or over-spiritualizing this, but rightly that we would look at God's word, be submitted to it, and align ourselves with it. So that as we read our text this morning, my, my hope for us is really that we would learn that in Christ we are soldiers called to take up the armor to be equipped for battle. That in Christ we are soldiers called to take up the armor and be equipped for battle. And so we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so right there, right out of the gate, Paul says, listen, we are soldiers. And there's a difference between a soldier and a civilian. Because civilians are aware that there's a battle, but they're not in the war. Soldiers are prepared for battle. And a soldier's identity and purpose is really to fight and and to stand, to go bravely into battle. And so we need to understand as soldiers of Christ that the enemy does not have control over us. The enemy does not have control over us. That we are set free from the devil's grasp when we are in Christ and we're called to be strong and resist the enemy's schemes. And so we need to remember that as believers, our identity is rooted in Christ. Those of us who put our faith in Jesus and follow Jesus are rooted in him. And so the source source of our strength to stand and to fight is not found within ourselves, but it's found within Jesus. And so what this means for us as soldiers of Christ is that this is not a solo mission that we not only go to, into battle with Jesus, but with one another. I think there's many distractions that can, that can really pull us away from the real fight that's going on. And Paul focuses quite a bit on relationships in Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 before he talks about spiritual warfare. And I think this is important because as he addresses these young believers in Ephesus, and as we read this here this morning, I think it's that it reminds us that we are built strong, not over each other, but with each other. That we're built strong, not over one another, but with one another. And in verse 12, Paul really clarifies who we do not battle against and who we do battle against. It says in verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle with one another. 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so what this means is how you and I view one another really matters. How you and I view one another and how we view this battle going on around each other matters. And so this means that we need to have a horizontal view that is based on a vertical relationship. We need to have a horizontal view of one another. How we view each other needs to be through the lens of our relationship with Jesus. And if our view of others is based just on a horizontal view, just on a flesh and blood view, then I think we really need to ask ourselves, what's influencing our view of one another? So let me ask you some questions. What are you watching? What are you seeing? What is affecting your view of the people around you? What are you saying? What do you say about your spouse? What do you say about your church? What do you say about the leaders, not only in this church and in church, but in politics? What do you say? What are you saying? I think we really need to ask ourselves, is this something that a soldier says, or is this something that a civilian says? And what are you posting? What are you posting on social media? I think it's really easy for us to step into the conversation boldly on Facebook. Here's what I believe and here's what I stand for, but cowardly step into important conversations because that's what civilians do. And so these questions are important because if there are voices and if there are other views clouding our vertical relationship, then we're always going to battle with the people beside us rather than the enemy in front of us. If there are voices and views that are clouding our vertical relationship, our relationship with Jesus, then we're always going to battle the people beside us rather than the enemy that is in front of us. So let me ask you this question. For you to ask, let me have you ask yourself this question. Am I living as a soldier of Christ or a civilian of the world? Am I living as a soldier of Christ or a civilian of the world? See, civilians get themselves caught in trivial matters that are issues of civilians, that are issues of this world. But soldiers go into basic and they step into battle, understanding that the war that they rage is not of this world. So they are called to be in it, but not of it. And so for us, we need to understand what kind of soldiers we're called to be, because we're not just talking about the kind of soldier that kind of goes to basic and, and understands how to be a soldier, but understands that it's not just a title, it's an identity that then we're called to as soldiers step into battle. So they don't just carry the title of soldier, but a true soldier is one that has the identity of soldier. And that causes them to step into battle and not the argument. Not the arguments around them, but the battle in front of them. And so as soldiers, Paul then says, we're called to take up the armor. And in verses 14 through 17, Paul gives us six pieces of armor that help us in our battle. These are the weapons of a soldier. First, he says it's the belt of truth. The belt of truth in verse 14. And what's the opposite of truth? Lies. The opposite of truth is lies. Are there any lies in the world? <laughs> I love it. So no, no, no lies at all. We, we know you're lying. Yeah. But in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus was addressing a group of people that were really kind of playing with the truth. 
and not speaking the whole truth, speaking a half-truth and reasoning with him. And Jesus said in verse 44 of John 8, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is the devil. He speaks no truth, but out of his character, he speaks lies. And so as we put on the belt of truth, it really causes us to ask, as we step into every environment, step into every area of the battle, to really ask ourselves, man, is this truth that's before me, is this true or is this false? Is this right or is this wrong? Putting on the belt of truth means we are walking in truth. Asking, is this from God or is this from Satan? Does this lead me to captivity or does this lead me to freedom in Christ? See, I believe a lot of us, not just in this room, but in in the faith of Christianity are still held by a lot of lies that we believe. Not lies that, not things that we're told of the word that, that we think are lies, the lies that we tell ourselves in our minds. So I want to encourage you as you leave here today to just do this little test. Take a notebook, write a line down the middle, and on the left, write down one category of the lies that you believe. What are the lies that you believe? What are the lies that you struggle with? And on the right, write down the truths. And I would imagine if there are lies that you believe, you don't know what those truths are. And so if you don't know what those truths are, as you, lie, as you write down the lies that you believe, then go to the Word and find out what the truth is there. Am I, I don't believe I'm loved. I don't believe that the cross reconciles me to Christ. These are some of the lies that we believe. That I'll never be good enough that I'll never be called, write these down on the left side and go to the Word and find the truths there. So Paul tells us to put on the belt of truth. And then second, he says, the breastplate of righteousness, also in verse 14, representing a life lived in holiness and righteousness. And this righteousness is not works of righteousness done by men, but rather this is the righteousness of Christ, given by God and received by faith which really guards our hearts against the accusations and charges of Satan. And then third, Paul says, put on the shoes of gospel and peace in verse 15. And Paul is reminding us here that our ability to march for God and to stand firm in the day of evil is completely dependent on our having experienced the effect of the gospel. You're not going to be able to put this on if you have not experienced it. And so even in warfare, sometimes an enemy places dangerous obstacles in the path of advancing soldiers. So let me remind you of this so you understand the reality of this. In the midst of spiritual warfare, Satan does not want you to experience the weight and the truth of the gospel. Satan does not want you to experience this truth. That the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. And so let me remind you, you never outgrow your need for the gospel. 
you will never outgrow your need for the gospel. So don't ever think that the gospel is the way that you just get saved, and then it's, then it's this thing that we then move away from. It's something we need to continually rest in, something we need to continually be experiencing. And so this illustration of gospel and peace is important because here, as Paul is communicating that it's important that we go out into the battlefield, he's reminding us to still remain planted in the gospel, that we never outgrow our need for the gospel. We never, ever, ever outgrow our need for the gospel. And then Paul tells us to take up the shield of faith in verse 16, that to resist the enemy We need to have a living and active faith in the living and active God. And Roman soldiers would take up shields that were about four feet tall, made of wood, and they would be covered in leather. And the important part of the shield as they would go and step out into battle is that this leather material would be soaked in water, not just dipped, but soaked in water that it would extinguish flaming arrows. And so if the soldiers then drew together in formation, as the arrows would come at them, they would be immediately extinguished. And so Paul's reminding us here that that the armor is not just for us individually, but for us corporately. That as we stand together unified, we may be able to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. That the shield of faith not only protects us from flaming arrows, it also renders the arrows useless. Because Satan will want to haunt you for things that God has forgiven you for. Satan wants to haunt you and torment you and destroy you with things that God has already forgiven you for. And it's going to come from nowhere. These accusations that he'll speak, that you're not loved, that you're not forgiven, you'll you'll never change and, and you're a fraud. These are some of the lies that the enemy wants to speak to us to bind us up and get us to think differently than the truth of what God says. So what you need to do is to hold up the shield of faith, saying, I trust the word of God. I have complete trust in Jesus. I trust the gospel and I trust the truth that Jesus says who he is and that is truth and who he says that I am is truth. And so I put my identity in him. And then Paul also tells us to take up the helmet of salvation. And think about that placement. Every good soldier wears a helmet, needs a helmet. This protects our mind, our thinking, and even our decision-making. Because you and I are going to constantly be surrounded in this culture by false teachers, by all kinds of lies and half-truths and temptations and confusions. So for us, this really comes down to an identity issue because what we are putting in our minds and in our thinking will directly affect our living, will directly affect how we go about this life. So this means protecting our thinking by surrounding ourselves with biblical truth, by other soldiers that follow their master, with spiritual protection and remembering we belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord and we are soldiers. We are not civilians. And then finally, Paul tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that it builds us up and it sustains us, that God's Word helps us grow and stay active as followers who put their identity in Christ. 
And it's interesting that when Roman soldiers prepared for battle, they would put on their armor, but actually the, the helmet and the sword would be handed to them. The helmet and the sword would be handed to them. And so what this tells us, importantly, is that this helmet is a gift. This sword is a gift. That it's not to just be wielded around all over the place. If you think about it, if someone runs through a crowd with a sword, there's damage. But if a soldier wields his weapon correctly and and intentionally, great things come out of that. And so even Hebrews speaks of the word of God in Hebrews 4 verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so these weapons are intentional. And these weapons are for those who put their identity in Christ and would step intentionally into battle. And so Paul says, listen, we are soldiers called to take up the armor to be equipped for battle. And Paul tells us in verse 18 how we're to prepare and communicate in battle. He says, by praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So just imagine for for a second an army going to war. An army going to war, but without any communication plan. We're just going to go out blindly and not talk to anyone at headquarters. Imagine soldiers just being deployed in an enemy territory with no communication plan. That's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. And so as we put on the armor as soldiers, Paul's reminding us that prayer is our communication plan. Prayer is our communication plan. It's how we communicate with God, and it's one of the incredible and primary ways that God communicates with us. So let me just ask you a question that I personally feel convicted of as a soldier of Christ. How's your prayer life? How's your communication plan going? Are you praying actively for this church, for this community, for these leaders? Are you praying for those who you battle with? How's your prayer life? How's your communication plan? See, Paul tells us to keep alert with all perseverance. And this means we pray in the midst of battle and we pray in the midst of waiting for battle. But I know for me, sometimes that is, that is difficult, forgetting the importance of this posture that a soldier is to take. And I think it's important for us to understand that as we seek in prayer, we're coming before God our Father to be equipped for what's ahead. To be equipped for what's ahead. But I know some of us in this room and in our church and in our community and in, in the faith constantly feel like they cannot get their head above water. I know that there's some of you who just feel like you are losing the battle and you are exhausted and you don't know what to do. And you keep trying to press on as a soldier, but it just kind of feels maybe to you like, like Satan just gets us all in a room and in a lineup, just like he does in, in the Old Testament with Job, and just kind of picks us up and just says, let's mess with them. And sometimes it just feels like we're getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and we can't do anything to get to that point. 
But what I want you to understand as soldiers, it's not just your stance that you take on the battlefield, but the stance you take before your God in submission, that your posture matters, that as soldiers that are called to take up the armor, to be equipped for battle, we're also called to submit and to surrender ourselves to the one who leads us into battle. About a year ago, and my son was only about a month old, which is crazy to think about, but when he was about a month old, it was about 3.30 in the morning, and I was holding him. He was crying. We could not figure out what was going on and trying to give his mother a minute to sleep um, before waking up probably minutes later. He was just crying uncontrollably. I could tell something was wrong and he didn't even know what it was. He had no clue of what was wrong. Man, I don't even know what I need, but I need something. This was obvious. And I tried everything and nothing worked. Tried everything, but nothing worked. And so, so I held him tight to me, not hurting him, but just communicating to him, just be still. And with my hand firmly over his back so he could not wail and cry and, and go back and forth, I just continued to repeat to him, it's okay, dad's here, I've got you. It's okay, dad's here, I've got you. And slowly, in the midst of this, I just felt his body just surrender. And he passed out. And there's nothing quite like hearing a one-month-old snore. And just hearing him feel safe in my arms as his father. See, many of you are in the midst of a battle, and you don't even know what's wrong right now. And maybe for you, you've tried to explain it, you've tried to define it, you've tried to get clarity on it, read scripture on it, go to groups and talk about it, you've tried all of these things, but the truth is, until we come before our Father on our knees, come before Him as Lord, then we're always going to act like the battle belongs to us. We're always going to try to believe that the battle belongs to us, when in reality, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle does not belong to you and I. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so our posture on the battlefield is important, but so is our posture before our leader, before our God. And if you are someone who's put their faith and their identity in Christ, then you are not someone wandering around the battlefield alone. But you have a father who's before you saying, it's okay, dad's here, I've got you. And what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to hold you. He's wanting you to surrender to that. That as you step into battle as a soldier, it wouldn't be by your own strength, but by the strength of Christ, by the finished work of Christ. And so if you are someone who is in Christ, then you are a soldier that's called to take up the armor to be equipped for battle. And through Christ, you have access to a father that's got you that's got you, and he has called you to submit and to surrender to him first, that you would step in as a soldier, not a civilian, and that you would take up the armor and be equipped for battle. Let's pray.